0: timeless theme. Earth and heaven will pass away. It's not a dream. God will make all things new that day. Gone is the curse from which I stung. all around. Now the nation's
1: Let's take our Bibles, turn over the book of Mark, Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8. I feel a little like Rexanna this morning as I too have been threatened and I was told that uh, I needed to share more jokes and I felt a little afraid for my life on the bus this morning. As one of the teenagers said, Preacher, we really need you to do that. I like it when you do that. And I said, it doesn't matter what teenagers think. <laughs> I didn't really say that. But anyway, <clears throat> so I thought, you know what, why not, right? I had a couple good ones from last week. These are puns. They're not really, they're not really jokes. But, you know, I, I knew a woman who owned a taser. Man, she was stunning. <clears throat> The man, who survived, <clears throat> the man who survived mustard gas and pepper spray, he's now a seasoned veteran. <laughs> That's a pretty good one, isn't it? You know, there was once a cross-eyed teacher who couldn't control her pupils. <laughs> I like that one. You know, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I found to write with a pointless pencil is, wait, to write with a broken pencil is pointless. That's, I messed that one up. Yeah, that's how it works around here with me, you know? Uh, and, and this was one that they said I shouldn't share with you, but I really like this one. The butcher backed up into the meat grinder. He got a little behind in his work.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, see, I thought you would appreciate that one, too. <laughs> a little behind <laughs> in his work. Ooh. Okay, Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 10 this morning. Mark chapter 8, verse 10. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Damanutha, And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, There shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them and entered into the ship again. uh, uh, Excuse me. And he left them and entering into the ship again departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them saying, Take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not, uh, not yet, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? and having ears, hear ye not? and do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among the five thousand, how many basket full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? How is it that ye do not understand? Earlier in the book of Mark, we read about a miraculous meal in Mark chapter 6, verses 32 through 44, we read of the feeding of the 5,000. Remember, there are five loaves and two fishes. The people had been listening to the Lord Jesus Christ, and now he realizes and recognizes it's become rather late, and there was no way that they were going to find enough or sufficient food for themselves and their families at that point, and he had compassion on them. And as a result, he asked, you know, how much bread do we have? How much food do we have available? And we find that there are five loaves and two fishes. He takes those five loaves and two fishes and he tells the disciples to seat the, the, the uh, crowd in groups of 50 and he lays them out in a very distinct way and, and he's very careful to do things decently and in order and he prays over the food and he sends it out and when it's all said and done, 12 basketfuls return. From five loaves and two fishes, now there are 12 Baskets full. The disciples would be a part of another miraculous meal prior to our text and prior to just entering into the ship and traveling in parts of the Manutha. We find in Mark chapter 8 now, just a few verses prior to our text, the feeding of the 4,000. This time there are 4,000. excuse me, the circumstances are roughly the same. Uh, The people are in need of of nourishment. And the Lord Jesus Christ asks the question and seeks out what in the world is available? What do we have at our disposal? Seven loaves and a few little fishes. And in the end, when it's all said and done, seven basketfuls return. Seven full baskets. Now, as we read on in our passage, we find that while he's in Dalmanutha, the Pharisees are up to their old antics again. They began to question the master, and their questioning was in hopes of tripping him up. The Bible says that they were tempting him. They wanted him to put his foot in his mouth, and they wanted him to say something that would destroy his claims, that would discredit his message and ultimately disgrace and discourage his followers from following any longer. <clears throat> these Pharisees would seek a sign from heaven. That's what just give us a sign from heaven, Master. And he would say to him, he would say to them, Why? Oh, why? He would cry. No sign would be given unto this generation, Jesus would tell them. And why not? Why in the world wouldn't these Pharisees seek a sign? Why in the world wouldn't the Sadducees or possibly the Herodians not seek a sign? I mean I mean, throughout Israel's history, sign after sign had been given, right? I mean, earlier on in Israel's histories, signs were given to prove or to convince the people of God's interest and God's involvement in their lives and in their circumstance and situation. Remember Exodus back there in Exodus chapter 3? We have Moses uh, making a trip onto that mount, and there he sees a burning bush. And he is directed and moved toward that. He can't help but go toward it. And there God speaks to him through that burning bush. And God lets him know that he's heard the cry of his people in Egypt. And after 400 years in bondage, he now has a deliverer that's going to remove them from that bondage. And that deliverer would be Moses. And Moses, of course, come up with a number of excuses why it certainly couldn't be him. And yet God, in each case, put those to the side and said, Uh-uh, no, well, that's not good enough. I'll go ahead and fix that, and i fix this, and I'll ensure this, and I'll take care of that. But interestingly enough, after God wins all the arguments, Moses then turns to an excuse. In Exodus 4, 1 again, he says, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Now this is important, what's going to transpire here, because it's going to set the stage for the rest of Israel's history. We're going to see that in the New Testament, the Bible says that that the Greeks, well, I'll, I'll read it in just a moment. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But God's going to give him a sign now. Two signs, actually, for the children of Israel. And in this case, God says, you know what? They may not believe you when you first go to them, but I'm going to give you a couple of signs. Here are the signs. Cast down that rod in your hand. He casts down the rod, and what happens? It turns to a serpent. He picks it back up by the tail, and it's a rod again. And then the Lord says, guess what? If they don't believe the first sign, I'm going to give you a second sign. That second sign, take your hand, Moses, place it in your bosom. He pulls his hand out, and it is leprous. He now has leprosy. There was no, no, no medicine to take, nothing that could cure the leprosy in his hand at that point. Leprosy was a disease you had and you kept for your lifetime. And God says, put your hand back in your bosom. He does it. He pulls it out. And sure enough, clean as clean could be. They'll believe the signs. If they don't believe the first, they'll believe the second, God told him. In the New Testament, as I mentioned, we learn a valuable piece of information about Israel. And because of this, early stage of their their existence they are still in bondage this is a nation that's going to come out they went in a people they come out a nation and that nation begins with signs and in 1 Corinthians it says verse 22 for the Jews require a sign and so we ask ourselves If indeed the Jew requires a sign, if indeed Israel was accustomed to receiving signs, how's come now, Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign. That's a good question. The question was not that unusual. It really wasn't that far-fetched. But the motive for which they sought this sign was anything but noble. See, the Bible says they, they were seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. I don't know about you, but can, do you remember back in chapter 4 of the Gospels where Satan himself had encouraged Jesus to cast himself down from the, from, from the pinnacle of the temple? He told him to do that, in essence, to provide a sign of his deity and his authority. I don't know about you, but we see the Pharisees now asking the same exact thing. I want a sign. Prove to us who you are. Prove to us you're Jesus. Prove to us you're Messiah. Prove to us you're Emmanuel, God in flesh. But see, these these Pharisees, they were being dishonest. When a person is dishonest with God by acting as if they have genuine interest in Him, but really they have no intention of accepting Him or believing on Him, I want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ is grieved. Oh, there would be many, many signs provided along the way, and especially at Calvary. But you can be sure that these cynics and these critics of our Lord would sadly ignore them. It wasn't really a sign they sought. They sought to trip Him up. So what did Jesus do? The Bible tells us he left them. He left them. Hey, listen, don't be surprised when God allows you to wander about aimlessly and helplessly if you seek answers without a sincere desire to be convicted and changed. That shouldn't surprise you. If you're not genuine, you're not sincere, you really don't want answers, you really don't want it to change your life, then I want you to know that times God will say, fine, I'll leave you to yourself. See how that works. So Jesus boards a ship and he begins his journey across the Sea of Galilee now. Some have estimated that that journey would have been between 8 and 13 miles. Depends on where they started, where they ended exactly and how how that went. They say that it would have been probably around a two-hour journey. And some would say, well, in two hours, that's no big deal, because what's the big deal about the bread here in just a moment if it was only a two-hour journey? Well, you got to remember, they didn't have Walmarts. And they didn't have, you know, 7-Elevens and all kind of different shops and stores that they could just stop in at any moment, at any time. Shelves weren't always filled like we have been blessed in America. Here they've toiled long. Here they have worked very hard. But now the Bible tells us they have no more than one loaf of bread. And some have said that the loaf of bread in which he's referring to and discussing and talking about isn't a normal loaf of bread. It isn't necessarily like there were slices, you know, and everybody could get a couple of pieces. No, it was a very small piece, loaf. Jesus charged them, the Bible tells us. Take heed, he says. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. We're going to learn a very valuable truth now. The disciples reason among themselves and they think, you know what? It's because we have no bread. That's why he said that. You know, when we neglect our responsibilities, we are very sensitive to criticism. Let me say that again. When we have neglected our responsibilities, we are very sensitive to criticism. You know, our conscience condemns us, and therefore we believe everyone else is as well. Isn't that interesting how that works? Oh, it's because we have no bread, they said. That's why he said that. Jesus knew exactly what was going on in their minds. He knew what they were thinking, and he was quick to recognize their guilty consciences and the fact that they misunderstood the charge altogether. So he realized that they had totally missed what he was really saying and instead assumed that he was pointing out their irresponsibility, that somehow he was criticizing them for not doing what they should have done already. I mean, there were seven basketfuls, right? Right? Why in the world didn't they have something? Many times people have asked, what did he do with those 12 baskets back there with the feeding of the 5,000? Did one of the disciples, did each disciple get a basket? Did he take it home to his family? I mean, was it just the little boy? Did he get all 12? Did he randomly hand them out? Did he, did he have some kind of contest in the, the masses and have a quiet seat? I, I don't know exactly, but what I, I'm not convinced of any longer is that the disciples got any of the 12 baskets because they got none of the seven. I don't know, but I think I would have stolen a piece of bread. No, I would have acquisitioned a piece of bread. Not stole. To this point, the Lord Jesus had only instructed and he had only sought to warn them. But now he had to confront their carnality. They were being fleshly. We now find Jesus rebuking these disciples for adopting the same exact mindset and the same philosophies of the Pharisees. You say, what do you mean? Well, we note that he talks about leaven here. And in this particular case, he speaks and he talks about the leaven of the Pharisees. Well, that's pretty important stuff there. The leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven in Scripture most often is used as a symbol of of evil, especially evil doctrine, evil evil belief system. And the leaven of the Pharisees was basically, if you want to boil it all down, was basically dead fundamentalism. It It was religious hypocrisy. It was works without a heart. And then there was the leaven of Herod. We can think about leaven of Herod, and we we see that term as well. The, the leaven was that their leaven was worldly compromise, for the sake of get this now worldly compromise for the sake of material gain. Oh, well, nobody's ever done that, right? Well, we know that the Bible says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, and so Jesus is speaking to his disciples now on this boat as they travel across the Sea of Galilee, and he, he says to them, beware, beware, I'm warning you of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they think, huh, it's because we forgot the bread. He's, he's, oh, he's putting it on us. Man, I knew we should have remembered the bread. And Jesus wasn't even referring to the bread at all. That really wasn't his issue at all. How many times had Jesus done without bread? I'm sure he could have done for two, four, six hours or at least till morning. So the disciples were almost just as bad as the Pharisees. I mean, the mention of leaven raised their thoughts no higher than bread. As if the Lord was even concerned about it. But they didn't get it, right? So Jesus responds to them. He responds to their carnal view of things. He, he, he asked them a series of questions in Mark chapter 8, verse 17 and 18. And here are the questions. He says, why reason ye because you have no bread? Why reason ye because you have no bread? What's, what's the point? I mean, honestly, guys, uh, seriously, you, you came to this conclusion. You've come to this place because you have no bread. That's it? You come to this place because you have no bread? That's how you arrived here? Simply because you have no bread, you've, run, you've come to this place. He's just losing his mind, and he goes on to say, Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Don't you have any perception at all? Don't you have any understanding? After all the time that we have been together, after everything that I've taught and said to you, this is where you land, simply on physical bread? He goes on to say, Have ye your heart yet Hardened? Meaning and implying, therefore, that at one point their hearts were hardened. By the way, your heart was hardened, too, if it's soft at all now. It may still be hardened, I don't know. But what I know is that all of our hearts were hardened till Jesus Christ came in and softened them. And he says to his disciples, those that were traveling with him, those that took that ship across the Sea of Galilee, those that had spent day and night with him, have ye your heart yet hardened? Then he says, Having eyes, see you not? Now, I, I don't know for sure, but I get the impression that, that all of these disciples could see. I don't know if they needed glasses or spectacles. I'm not sure. I don't know if some were farsighted, some were nearsighted. I don't have a clue. But what I do know is that Jesus assumed and expected them and said, I know you have sight. I mean, seriously, having eyes? Can't you see? Have you ever felt like that in your life? You're looking right at something. You ever look at a picture? And they say, oh, there's all these hidden things in the picture. And you got eyes to see, but you don't see in one of them. Having ears, hear ye not, he says. I mean, you've been listening, you've been hearing everything that's going on. Are your ears just as stony and incapable of receiving the eternal truths that I share with you? Are they that tough? I mean, the, the Pharisees can't figure it out. They listen to me, but they never walk away with the right answers. Are you in the same boat? And finally, he says, and do you not remember? Do you not remember? And then he would go on to remind them of what? The feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 4,000. He would tell them about those miraculous meals all over again. And he would remind them. Seriously, guys? I need bread? you guys kidding me here? These disciples had come to a place where they, they really misunderstood some things. They lacked understanding. What steps can we take to ensure we understand God's Word, his, his motives, and His goodness in our lives? I mean, how can we avoid a lack of spiritual insight and understanding then? Because if these disciples who traveled with Him all that time, that literally lived with Him, served with him. If they could come to a place where all they could see was with their physical eyes, if they couldn't look past the here and now, if they ran into that detour obstacle, aren't we prone to it as well? So, how is it that we can avoid a lack of spiritual insight and understanding? And that's the question I want to answer in the next two and a half minutes. I'm teasing, but anyway... Because we're, we're, we're drawn close. So I'm going to give you three ways, okay? Three thoughts. And we'll see where God, what God does with it today. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be guilty of lacking spiritual insight or understanding, spiritual insight and understanding. Man, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. Man, I have, I have the Word of God and I have the Spirit of God living in me. How sad would it be to lack spiritual insight and understanding. So let's consider how we can avoid that. Father, we ask Lord you'd bless us these next few moments. We need you and we love you. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, if we're going to avoid a lack of spiritual insight and understanding, don't forget what God has done. Don't forget what God has done. I mean, let's face it, these disciples ultimately are reminded of the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. Why? Because obviously they had forgotten. It's amazing to even consider that, to even fathom that, when you consider how closely, uh, closely uh, that, that event had taken place to where they are now. I mean, the ministry of Jesus Christ was only three to three and a half years, at least as public ministry. So we know that they weren't very far removed from the feeding of the 5,000. And we know without a doubt it hadn't been but just around the corner that the feeding of the 4,000 took place. I mean, it was those baskets, those 12 baskets and those seven baskets full after simply five loaves, after seven loaves. And yet here we find them forgetting about the ability of God. Listen, don't forget what God has done in your life. How often have we stood in uh, stood stood by an all of God, I mean all of God's supernatural provision in our lives? How often have we recognized his hand in the lives of our loved ones and our family members? How often have we found ourselves between a rock and a hard place to recognize and realize that God, the God of heaven, was there for us? and Met our every need. And still, how often have we found ourselves panicked in some particular situation in our life and possibly even questioning God's love and concern for our well-being? See, we forget His goodness, don't we? We can only see the negative. We only see the, the, the dark cloud. We fail to remember what God has done for us. We forget His mercy. We forget His grace. Boy, the psalmist said, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. In Psalm 105, verse 5, he says, remember his, remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. In Psalm 143, verse 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. Wow. Let me tell you something. We're in a dangerous spot when we fail to remember some things. When we forget what God has done in our lives, we place ourselves potentially in a place where we're going to lack spiritual insight and lack spiritual understanding. Let me tell you, if you can't remember what God's done for you and you are negative Nancy or or critical Calvin, my friend, I promise you, you aren't quite seeing straight right now. You're not seeing the way Jesus would want you to see. You're going to be lacking something, and that something is spiritual insight. That something is spiritual understanding. It's one thing to have some common sense. It's another thing to have some biblical truth in your heart, enabling you to live and speak and function the way God intended. Boy, a spiritual sight. Boy, if anybody was holy, if anybody was separated, if anybody was right with God, had to be those 12 disciples, right? At this point, they were lacking spiritual insight and understanding because they had forgotten what God had done. Number two, we're going to avoid a lack of spiritual insight and understanding. We need to focus on what God is doing. Yeah. Amen. It's interesting how we get enamored with, with, with the world and the things of this world, isn't it? how important they become to us, how, how, how ultimately, how needy we are of them. We lose sight of eternity. We lose sight of spiritual matters. We take the here and the now, and we make it our greatest priority in life. Can I tell you, that is not what God is doing God is not about what you drive and the house you live in. That's not really his main focus. He's not as concerned about how well you dress necessarily. He's not as concerned about, wh- wh- you know, how you, you know y- y- your, your bank account appears or how good your retirement is. Although you need to be wise, I get that. And you need to be careful with your finances. I know the Bible outlines and defines the need to be good stewards of what he has given us because everything we have is really his anyway. But the fact is is that so often we get so enamored and so focused on the things of this world, the material things of this world, we become like those Pharisees and those Herodians where we get to the place where that is more important than what God has going on in this world and what God has going on in our lives. And God's all about things that are beyond today. They go into eternity. He's trying to give these disciples a spiritual uh, lesson on false doctrine. He's trying to remind them that the Pharisees, and even in a sense, the leaven of the Herodians—that these, this leaven, this spiritual, this, this spiritual sugar, this bad stuff—that's going to hurt your body, that's going to harm you uh, spiritually, I should say. He's saying, I want to warn you about it. I don't want you to be taking it in. I don't want you to be enamored by it. I don't want you to somehow embrace that that leaven. I don't want you to take part in it because I'm telling you, it will destroy you. It will wreck and ruin your life. It'll ruin your marriage. It'll ruin your family. It'll ruin your churches. It'll ruin everything. You better stay straight in the word of God. You better understand that your doctrine better be straight. It better be clear and it better be right out of the word of God. But they couldn't see what God was really doing. They couldn't see what Christ really had in mind. All they could see is physical food. Isn't that funny? Now listen, we got missions conference coming up. Can I tell you the difference between a successful missions conference and a failure? People that see past the next meal. People that see past the next meal. You say, what do you mean? If you get focused solely on today, right now, what you can and can't have, all about your things, I'm going to tell you, it's hard to sacrifice for something that's going to produce in eternity. You don't see the immediate result today. Well, I'll tell you what, we are raising a generation and we are teaching a generation that what God has going on isn't as important as what they do. That boy, I tell you, more important than what God's trying to teach you and what God wants you to adopt is your your life lessons and what God wants you to receive so that you can live a life pleasing and honoring to Him. That's not as important as you getting a good job. It's not as important as your education. That's not as important as you getting a, 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 a nice girl or a nice guy. Those things are the most important things and then all these other things will be added. No, He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Well, i tell you what, don't forget what God has done. And don't, listen, if you want to avoid a lack of spiritual insight and understanding, then you need to focus on what God is doing now. He looks at the Corinthians in chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, and he says, For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Are ye not fleshly? You know what the problem was there? They lacked spiritual insight and understanding. I mean, they had reasoning, but it was worldly reasoning. It was man's reasoning. It wasn't God's mind. And see, what God was doing is different than what these people in Corinth were wanting to get done. Boy, you get in a place like that, you're in trouble. The truth is in Romans 6, 4, the Bible says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We are new creatures who have been raised to walk in newness of life. We are to understand spiritual matters. We're to have a new outlook, a new perspective, a new proposition, a new purpose. Everything's new in our lives because of what Christ has done. And yet the disciples, although they were literally traveling with him, they slept, they ate, they drank, they, they, they ministered together, they spent their lives together. In spite of all of that, all they could see was the physical bread. They missed what he was doing. What's God doing in your life that you aren't allowing him to do? What, what, what are you missing that God's trying to do? Can, can I say to the ladies real quick, i got to believe God wants to do something to the ladies' advance. Well, i got another plan. You better be careful with your plans. I mean, you got a local church. Do you know that God put this local church here to perfect you? Read it in Ephesians chapter 4. Do you realize that the the programming that we have here is for the sake of perfecting the saints so that they can become everything God intended them to be? Don't neglect what the church is doing in most cases. I know there are things you can't do. You can't do every little thing. I get that. But friend, I promise you this. We can all find excuses why we can't do certain things. But I'm going to tell you something. You better make sure you know what God is doing or you will end up lacking spiritual insight and understanding, and when Jesus comes to you with something bigger and greater than what you 're used to, all you 'll see is literal bread, and it'll all your, your answer, and your decision will be based solely on what you can see right in front of you. Be careful so Don't avoid, he says, avoid a lack of spiritual, how do we do that? How do we avoid a lack of spiritual insight and understanding? Don't forget what God has done. Focus on what God is doing. And lastly, remember what God can do. Remember what he can do. You say, where'd that one come from? Well, obviously, the other two are pretty simple, right? We, We get that in the passage. This one's simple too. It's in the passage. Remember those fragments? Remember there there were 5,000, and remember when it was all said and done, although there were five loaves and two fishes, there were now 12 baskets full? Hey, that's what God can do. Remember the feeding of the 4,000. I mean, there they are being served. Uh, I mean, five loaves and two small fishes, and yet seven baskets full returned. See, that's what God can do. Oh, you can't do that. I can't do that. But He can do that. See, He is creator God. He spoke the universe into existence. Let me say that again. He spoke the universe into existence. There was nothing before Him because He is before all things. You keep your evolution, you keep your science, if that's what you want to call it, so, falsely so-called, But my friend, I want you to understand there is a God in heaven today. And that God, there is only one God. His name is I Am. He was from the beginning. We have no idea when he began. We have no way of knowing how it all went down. But what we do know is he always was and always will be. And he spoke the universe into existence. He said, let there be light. And there was light. His power is limitless, and there are no bounds to His ability. And this God, who created all things and owns the cattle on a thousand hills, He will take care of you. There's always provision provided by God. He always meets the need. Not always the way we want Him to meet it, but He meets the need. The temptation, however, is to direct our greatest time, energy, and effort into providing for ourselves. When God is more than capable of doing so, 2 Corinthians 3, 5, we see the apostle saying to the church at Corinth, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God. You know, it's going to take people... Who are willing to say he's enough to change this world. To overcome the wave of immorality and the wave of misinformation and the wave of confusion that is gripping our culture and our society today. So people are going to have to stand up and say, you know what? I don't have all the answers, but what I do have is God and he's big enough for me. He's all I need would well, to God we understood that truth and not just knew it, but lived it. Again, so often we quote the verse, and I did already once, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I mean, do you really want a good marriage, a godly marriage? I mean, you really want a home that honors Christ and that puts you in a place Where you can enjoy what God intended for you to enjoy as a mom, a dad? I mean, do you as grandparents ultimately want to be able to look back on your life and say, man, I did something right? Then let's quit seeing things, let's quit seeing mere bread. Let's start looking beyond that. Let's go ahead at this point in our lives, let's make a decision that we're not going to forget what God's done and and we're going to focus on what God is doing. And we're going to look at the thing from God's perspective. We're going to see things the way God intends them to be. We're not going to allow the world to define who we are and what we do. We're going to let God and His Word define that what do you believe about abortion what do you believe about transgender what do you believe about homosexuality what do you believe about lesbian what do you believe about those hundred genders that there are now I just read what do you believe about all that stuff what do you believe about money what do you believe about giving what do you believe about God and his house what do you believe about living for Jesus Christ what do you believe about separation what do you believe about being distinct and different in the world what do you believe about being a woman what do you believe about being a man We live in a world that is turning all of those things upside down. You want to know why? Because all they see is what the disciples saw that day and what the Pharisees saw. They see only right here, right now, a piece of bread. They can't see what God is doing because they really don't care what God wants. But you know what? We're the people of God, aren't we? Things should be different in our lives. Amen. It should be different in our marriages. It should be different in our homes. It should be different in our, the world around us, at least those who we can impact and influence. Those disciples got on that boat that day, that ship, the Bible calls it, and Jesus asked them a question. Boy, they reasoned all wrong because all they could think is that guy—he's trying to—he's—he's he's putting it on us. hes, he's pointing out our faults. He's pointing out that we failed. He's pointing out that we ain't doing it right. That had nothing to do with Jesus. With what Jesus was trying to do that day. He was trying to warn them of ensuing danger. He was warning them about false doctrine. He was warning them about beliefs and systems of belief that ultimately would would dismantle Christianity and wreck and ruin his work on the earth. It would ultimately lead men and women to hell. They couldn't see past the bread. I wonder, are you seeing past the bread in your life? Do you have spiritual insight and understanding? If I asked your children, do you have spiritual insight and understanding? If I asked your grandchildren, if I asked your closest friend, if I asked your husband or wife, if you had spiritual insight and understanding, if you saw things through the eyes of Jesus or you see things through the eyes of mankind, what would they say? God help us. Don't forget what God has done. Focus on what God is doing. Remember what God can do. And if you'll do that, more than likely you're going to avoid this spiritual, a lack of spiritual insight and spiritual understanding. And instead you'll embrace it. You'll have it. It'll be yours. And that's indeed what all of us should desire today. I wonder, do you know Christ? We talk a lot about Him, but do you know that you enter into a relationship with Him by acknowledging your sin and Him as the Savior, the only Savior? That no one else could ever do anything on your behalf to wash your sin away, to make you clean before a holy, righteous God? That only His sacrifice and His perfect blood that was shed on Calvary can literally cleanse you and prepare you and ready you for eternity? Boy, We all start off over here and we need to end up over here. We start off in Satan's family heading in the wrong direction. The broad road. We need to end up in God's family, on the narrow road. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. You don't become a child of God unless you exhibit or you exercise faith in Jesus Christ. We all start off lost without him. We must receive and accept him to have him. The, the, The decision is yours today. Begin this new journey called the Christian life. Die to who and what you are and be raised to walk in newness of life. It's a wonderful life, the Christian life. It's the best life. And Jesus wants you to experience it firsthand. Father, we thank you for all you do for us and mean to us. We are needy people. Be glorified in our lives. Help us to truly, Father, honor you with the way we speak and act and live. May we father not be guilty of being of lacking spiritual understanding and spiritual insight instead help us to be father truly understanding having insight seeing things through your eyes having your mind Lord, help us. We need you. And if there be any that are without Christ, may they be saved today. May they take that journey forward to an altar and have someone show them from the Bible how they can know for sure heaven's their home, settle their soul's salvation today. In Christ's name we pray.